0: We want to consider this morning, how do we respond as people who are trying to take cues from Jesus, uh, as people of faith, as people of love, as people of goodwill, as people trying to pursue justice and inclusion and truth, given the fact that As we discussed here in our church uh, all last fall leading up to the election, faith in Jesus is often co-opted and presumed to be in support of the shameful message and behavior that we saw this week. Uh, So in light of that, we've asked a few people in our community to lead us in reflecting. How do we respond to what happened this week as people trying to follow Jesus? This message today is not going to be neat and tidy Uh, it is probably going to be more raw and unfiltered, and that is good and appropriate for today. So if you Many of us will be used to more neat and tidy messages uh, when it comes to a church setting. That's not going to be today. We hope that you'll appreciate that experience. Again, we think that's appropriate for today. Our hope is to capture some different feelings and thoughts across the spectrum, uh, so each of us have a chance to hear something that we might resonate with, and maybe that helps us to process ourselves. There is no one-size-fits-all reaction. Uh, It's all kind of dependent on... What power and privilege do each of us have in our society? What, what are our personalities like? It's all very uh, not one size fits all, but we do have a common pursuit and we have common values together. So uh, we are going to press into that. Uh, this morning, uh, we're gonna hear from uh, wonderful people in our community, uh, Haley Larson, Maria Santian, Laura and Lester Mitchell and Kyle Hanwell, our co-pastor. It is vulnerable to process out loud. I wonder if anybody knows that from personal experience. So I'm really grateful to each of you, uh, those names I just read for doing this um, out loud to help all of us process. That is a real gift to your community. So uh, I'm gonna pass it on. Uh, We're going to hear uh, from uh, Haley first and then I'll jump in as sort of traffic controller as we invite each of our shares for today. Haley.
1: Good morning. Um, So this week I have been Thinking about a lot of things. I've been thinking about my own privilege and my positionality and my religious upbringing. Growing up in an evangelical setting, there was this trend of sticking Christian phrases on just about anything. Bracelets and t-shirts and bumper stickers. Um, One of the most popular was summed up with the letters WWJD. What would Jesus do? It was meant to be kind of a moral compass. If Jesus was teleported into your current situation, what would he do? And this week, there's been a range of responses with Christians asking, what would Jesus do? And at the extreme, the religious right is aligning Jesus with terrorism and white supremacy. In videos and pictures from Wednesday, you can see someone holding a Jesus saved sign amidst the chaos and it's jarring. Among family members and acquaintances, I've seen people answering WWJD through distancing. From their view, Jesus would not be aligned with terrorists in Wednesday's violence, but they wouldn't go so far as to denounce white supremacy. Looking to Jesus becomes kind of this escapist message instead of dealing with the present reality. And for me, honestly, times come up where it's really tempting to resort back to this way of thinking. And while there is some truth in asking what would Jesus do? For me, that reads as passive or hypothetical. It says, if Jesus was here, whose side would he be on? That's the real question at hand. And instead of what would Jesus do? It's been more useful for me to ask this week, what is Jesus doing? Acknowledging Jesus's active presence in disgusting events is not the same as saying Jesus causes injustice. It also does not say that everything happens for a reason, another stick it on a sweatshirt or a mug type of saying. I don't actually believe that everything happens for a reason. A good God does not use hatred to teach us something. But I believe there is a creative, engaged God who is always inviting us into engagement and pursuing justice. Though God doesn't use hatred as a lesson, a restorative God can make meaning in anything. And what I saw in Wednesday was a completely anti the kingdom of God. It was baffling to watch this unfold, but not because it was unbelievable. From its beginnings, this nation has claimed to be the city on a hill, but functioned on white supremacy, clinging to abusive power, instilling hate. These are not the actions of God. This is an opportunity to say that we are truly following Jesus and we must denounce white supremacy. We cannot sit back and pray about it or say that God is somehow above this. God is actively against hatred and abuse. And watching videos of the terrorism that took place um, this week, the work of photographer Mel Cole stood out to me. Mel willingly steps into the violence to capture and reveal white supremacy at work. With his own safety threatened, he sees it necessary to not give terrorists a free pass, to present their actions and words clear as day, to bring it to light. A white woman proclaiming that she was willing to die for her nation, her children, her grandchildren. A mostly white crowd ironically chanting, I can't breathe, over and over. The sheer look of actual insanity, on white men's faces, waving Confederate flags, yelling that they would preserve this nation at all costs. The Jesus I know has nothing to do with this, but Mel's willingness to step in and reveal truth is super Jesus-y to me. God is not the source of hatred. God does not sit idly by as injustice takes place. Instead, Jesus invites us into the work of dismantling white supremacy and pursuing the kingdom of God it's ever more important for us to individually and communally move forward in active engagement. So in reflection this morning, I would love to just challenge us to share in the chat or in ongoing conversations ways that you feel personally called to respond and to pursue justice.
0: Amen. Thank you, Haley. And as we uh, move on to our next, Haley, if I can ask you to find a link for Mel Cole, we would love. Oh, and look at that, Abby, our moderator is on it. We've already got it in there. Now you can follow Mel Cole on Instagram. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Let me uh, ask Maria Santian uh, to share.
2: Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, one of the questions that was posed um, was similar to what Haley started out with. You know, How do we, as people, um, followers of Jesus respond to, to Wednesday. Um, and I thought of, of two things. So if you have been with us since, um, last summer, I think it was, um, I came on here and I told my story of how I am not, I did not grow up in the church. Um, so my experience of faith and Jesus has been through what I've learned with, um, with my parents, with my grandma, um, and uh, and ultimately when I came to to Brownline, so I don't know the the Bible intimately, um, but I do feel like I have a um, a strong connection to, to to Jesus and how he um, works through through us. Um, so with that in mind, um, my picture of Jesus has always been about love, always been about community. Um, and in, in response would be, the first thing is, is that he would be with people that are, are triggered and are, are true you know victims of, of this hate. Um, because he would sit, sit with you in it. He is as a, as a black and brown person himself would have been a, a, a victim of that hate. Um, so I, I see him just being with, with those and encouraging others to create space for um for for the victims. Um, and really just I see pushing, you know, challenging you know, people who are in positions of privilege, you know, even myself being fairer skinned um, person of color, I know I have a responsibility as well. Um, that we we can't Continue to protect um, the, the abusers. So that leads into the second part of I think we need to be mindful about our language, and and not continue with the um, the avoidance of calling it what it is. It was domestic terrorism. Uh, it was white supremacy. It, it was uh, you know calling it those things instead of pushing it to um, to being very vague of craziness that happened on Wednesday. I think we need to get uncomfortable and say what it was, um, and because I could see Jesus calling out <laughs> Pharisees for hypocrisy, I could see Jesus doing that and encouraging others to do that. Um, and if we're not going to be if going to be in a comfortable, position, if we're not if we're going to avoid that language, um, avoid that discomfort, we are not doing um a service to um to our black brown indigenous uh, people of color um lgbtq plus essentially anyone who's not a white cis male um who's a victim of of hate um so those are two strong things that that came to mind in thinking of how do we respond as people following Jesus think and uh, um Haley that was a a good thing to bring up of what would Jesus do because I did think of that I was like how would Jesus want me to respond how am I um um how is he following me right now how is he pushing me to to help um other people see this as discouraging and feeling numb to this of feeling shocked, but not surprised. How would he want me to to support them? Um, How would he want me to get through that? Because I've shared a lot of those same feelings. Um, How would he want me to push others and and, push into that discomfort of when I hear people say or people post um, craziness that happened or uh, not calling it terrorism, not calling it white supremacy. Um, how am I pushing towards accountability? How am I pushing, um, whether it's you know local government, whether it's just conversations with friends and family? How am I pushing into that discomfort um, towards accountability? Um, so, um, those are at least two things that came up that day. Um, you know, since then. Um, but yeah, I've been through a roller coaster of emotions—from you know, paralyzing panic um, and fear to anger and just feeling distraught. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm grateful for this community that has intention to seek justice and has intention to do well because of um, we're following practice practices of Jesus. Um, so that that does fill
0: me with hope. Thanks. Thank you, Maria. Pushing into the discomfort. Thank you so much. It's a good word. Uh, let me uh, invite Laura and Lester Mitchell to share with us.
3: Hey, everyone. Um, so I feel like it's going to be a tone shift. Know that. Um, we're both from the South. So for me, when I saw people storming the Capitol, it basically looked like a tailgating party, just like walking up to the gates of our establishment. Um, and for me, when I first saw that, I was like, this is like, it was kind of like, I mean, to me, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing a bunch of white people going and approaching a bunch of white people, like in the Capitol, um, two different sort of like power dynamics but still powerful and to me it was a little funny and I mean like it might have been just the tone of like because I was I'm working in a office space uh unfortunately just because of the way it is right now um so I had like coworkers and me just watching this happen and it was just insane it was just crazy to watch it happen um and we're all kind of just like making fun of like the disorganization the just like it just seemed like really crazy and of course we didn't know anything about people dying or you know we didn't know anything at that point um it just looked really nuts uh and I mean and then like people that they like politicians representing them running away from them was pretty funny too to me um and it was just like it was just kind of crazy to look at that and Um, how I handle things is with humor. That's my first defense. Um, and so that was just how I was handling it. Um, because I don't know, like, it is really scary to see people like, especially with like machine, like just, you know, military grade weapons. Um, and then like some people in there look like they could be like my aunt going to like, you know, I don't know, Thanksgiving. Um, So it's just like a weird dynamic. Um, And I think that it's just really interesting how different people like respond to all of these things. Um, Anyway.
4: I know that's kind of a weird, it's just like, for me, that's how it was, but. I'm just trying to gather my thoughts as Laura said, definitely. A little bit of a tonal shift. Um, so much uh, conflicting thoughts running through my head personally. Um, and yeah, haven't spoken too much to too many people other than Laura and my best friend about it, because it uh, has felt, I guess, somewhat distancing to feel so different than a lot of people actually whenever I saw this. So my first thoughts, much like Laura, um, were humor, very much side-eyeing. These people are gonna run into the Capitol for Trump, yeah. really. Yeah. Trump, he didn't, he didn't even help you the way he said he would help you. Like he didn't even yeah. fulfill the things he told you he'd fulfill. He's really worth it. Um, yeah. And so a lot of just like these people are ridiculous, and this is the most pathetic coup attempt that I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Like this stuff happens in other countries, and this took like two seconds for, yeah. Well, some would argue took too long, but still, it, it you know they were cleared by the end of the day. Um, but one of the reasons I feel so conflicted actually has to do with the that question of how do we respond, especially for myself having done so much reading lately on the idea of restorative justice, abolition, etc., cetera, um, painting all of those people who stormed the Capitol as just the bad people. It is a God versus devil type mm-hmm. of narrative. Um, has felt very, very like conflicting to me. Um, I mean, I feel like our government has let us down greatly uh, through this pandemic and quite frankly, through the last like maybe decade or so. Inequality is is skyrocketing in this country. People going into debt over healthcare, you know, um, they've just like really let us down. And whenever I think about uh, restorative justice, or if I think about like um, that there is some good in everyone or righteous anger or anything like that, I have to question when I see the Capitol, what happened at the Capitol, is yes, they believe in an absolutely ridiculous conspiracy theory, but did our system that we've had for the last decade make it more likely for them to believe it? Um, Are we in a situation where the, the lack of connection, personal connection between people, um, the lack of material well being for not all the people that stormed the Capitol, but I'm sure a large number. Um, does that make them more likely to believe in these conspiracy theories and to storm a Capitol? Is there a connection between what made a bunch of left wingers? storm a police station, take it over, and take over a whole city block for over a month. Is there a connection between that happening in the summer and what's happening in the capital? And so for me, it's like, I cannot stand the fact that they believe this ridiculous conspiracy theory. Uh, I don't see the appeal of Trump as their savior. Um, Some of them have outright disgusting views, but at the same time, I think if we look at history, when there's high levels of anxiety and high levels of inequality, um, you see xenophobia rise. And so I've had a lot of anger and frustration since the Capitol, but it has been with the elite that I feel like in our country, I mean, Elon Musk just became the most, like the richest guy in the world. He just surpassed Bezos. That just happened while people are still starving um, and while inequality is extremely high. And so my anger is almost, I felt like, I felt like, this was almost inevitable. Is it that big of a surprise to us really when we just went through the whole summer where people were burning down buildings, people whose politics I personally agree with, like I agree with their politics, not the burning of buildings, but I agree with their politics. Is it that surprising that we would see that same type of anger on the right? yes, we disagree with it. Yes, we condemn it. Um, But is it really surprising? I mean,
3: yeah. And I mean, also, it's like we talked about the idea of calling them terrorists. Um, But it becomes scary, because that same rhetoric can be applied to the people who are doing things for Black Lives Matter, um, into things that we believe in, too. So that rhetoric can then be Bounced over to our side and be used against us. um, That's something that I want to like. I think it feels a little hypocritical um, because then it can also be like giving more power to a surveillance state um, and putting it in the power of like people, you know, like it's like taking advantage of a situation so that they can use it against like other people who are trying to break down a racist and a corrupt system. Um, It's not to say that what they did was like wrong, but I think it's like maybe the way that they want us to approach this is important to understand. How do they want us to approach this? How do they want us to be angry? Where do they want us to direct our anger? Are they directing at the people who storm the Capitol or are we directing it at the people in the Capitol? And I think that's something that I really want to question. And take a step back too.
4: Yeah, I had a, I, I, uh, there was one friend that I said he was kind of struggling with the same thing in the sense of when he saw it, um, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he kind of, not didn't, he did want to kind of have that same rhetoric of like, when they start looting, we start shooting. He wanted to kind of like throw that back at them. And he was saying he was feeling conflicted and, what I told them is I'm also feeling conflicted because I disagree with their politics, um, obviously. I think some of them were outright white supremacists. But at the same time, I'm not gonna be mad that the cops didn't crack their heads as bad as they would another group of people. That, that's just not like, it doesn't make sense for me. I don't want to see the cops um, hurting anyone regardless. Um, And so like that's been conflicting with me. And and obviously as we learn more information about like, well, there were pipe bombs and there were Molotov cocktails and then that makes you go, oh, well maybe the cops should have been stronger. on. But then at the same time, it's like, well, some people brought Molotov cocktails to Black Lives Matter protests and I still support their political goal even if I don't agree with the Molotov cocktails. And so it's just been super conflicting for me personally, trying to find that like humanity. I don't know if we talk too
0: much. Yeah, we but... probably need
3: to stop talking. <laughs> All right. I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to echo what uh, Abby put in our, in our chat is, uh, we can actually listen to you guys go on for a little while. This is, this is so generative to hear, you know, as, I, as we started today. Today is not a neat and tidy message day today is we're all in the wake of seeing something that has never happened in the history of this country. And we're figuring it out together and we're asking hard questions about what does it mean to figure out what to do with integrity, what does it mean to figure out what to do when you hold to the values of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, if we could figure that out and give you a neat and tidy message in three or four days, you know. Pat us on the back, but we can't. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the different perspective that you guys, I mean, you started by saying, it's like, look, we're from the South. Like our view of this is very different. And I'm going to raise my hand to somebody who, from whom's view yours is, is very different from because I grew up in Chicago my entire life. It's like, I don't know what it's like in the South. And so this is this is just so useful and this is so I, the only word i can think of is like generative and we hope that being uh being a part of just kind of hearing these different sharings for all of you is is useful for you in processing in figuring out how do i respond how do i do so as somebody who's trying to follow jesus well for our final sharing uh let me invite in uh kyle hanner our co-pastor and kyle uh, as you finish would you pray for us today
5: Absolutely. You know, as I I saw all of what was unfolding, um, there's a couple of things that hit me pretty significantly. One of them was, is it wasn't, it wasn't its its own thing in itself. Um, There was this experience for me of it also being bookended with uh, the lack of charges brought against the shooting of Jacob Blake. It was bookended with Uh, having, at that point, senators and representatives uh, objecting to the election. It was this deep sense of, like, there is something broken. There is something broken here. And we are seeing a manifestation of that brokenness right now at our Capitol. And I was constantly reminded through various different ways about why putting my trust in as as the bible talks about not putting our tr- trust in princes and principalities but putting our trust in god this idea that like so i'm a so as a as a white guy growing up in a kind of a middle classic society there are certain narratives that you get growing up in america that like We got it together. It's going to be okay. It's going to, like, our, at the end of the day, you can trust that our government's going to figure it out. If there's something wrong, we can trust that it will eventually be righted. There's a sense of, like, belief, almost that being American promises a sense of justice. Now, if it hadn't already occurred to you that is a deeply and uniquely reality of being a white straight man um if you if that is not your narrative uh, i can i'm still how how different our responses to the capital i think really does reflect our own experiences of life um and i think for me there's this real strong sense of like so what, what does that mean for me i'm feeling this level of destabilization i'm feeling this sense of What does it mean to be living in a place where maybe I can't trust? I can't put my faith that things will maybe just work out. And I think this is a reality that a lot of people already encountered. And I think that there's this important piece for me to realize that Jesus existed in a place and a time where injustice would have been normative. The idea that you cannot bank on the world around you just turning out well is that that's not where your life stability comes in. That's not where it happens. And certainly the idea that being passive in your experience of life. Is just like the status quo is going to bring justice to you is is a place that would have felt totally foreign to, to Jesus. And honestly, I, I appreciated Barbie's comment in the post of like growing up in Chile where rioting and all these things are so normative. I think what has felt so challenging in this last piece is that I, even as I've deconstructed as an adult, I had deeply internalized a lie as a child that I can trust that my world is okay because of the systems and structures that I live in. I can believe that the, that the pilgrims were just friendly people to the Indians. I can believe that later in life, uh, Native Americans chose to go and live in reservations. I can believe things about our society that are fundamentally untrue, but my social identity has given me permission to believe them. So when I think about how all these things unroll for me, and I think about where Jesus is showing up in my own life, you know, I'm, I'm brought back to uh, a quote that I often uh, speak to, which I think is a powerful quote that Martin Luther King kind of adopted um, from a 18th century preacher, which is the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I believe that to be fundamentally true on the level that I think God is fighting for justice. On a week where we did see white supremacist symbols and signs on our Capitol building, to believe that God is active in that, fighting for justice, that matters to me. But I also believe that it is not as clear and as simple. It is not a sense that it is just predestined to end injustice. It is not just that the world in my passivity as a white man can often believe that it's just gonna turn out okay. You know, uh, the former attorney general under Obama, I think he twisted, cause Obama used to say this a lot, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice um, is long but it bends towards justice and he, he tweaked it. And I think it's particularly interesting uh, in his position as being the first black attorney general talking about the arc bends towards justice but it only bends towards justice because people pull it towards justice. And as a Jesus follower, when I think about this is participating in the kingdom of God coming. It is participating on seeing the kingdom on earth. And to me, I think that it's incredibly important in these spaces to realize that God is with us. What Haley was saying is not what would have Jesus done, it is what is Jesus doing? And I think he's doing multiple things. I think Jesus right now is fighting towards a world that brings justice for all. And I also think he is bringing comfort and hope to those of us in the middle of it that realize that that arch finishing towards justice is perhaps a long ways off. The complexities of the brokenness of our society is something we can do over a 50 hour lecture and still not address at all. Whether it's the way that social media has perpetuated an, an experience of information that just leads and breaks us more, whether it's the foundation of a country built on white supremacist, built on sexist philosophies, have life over and over and over again. But I think what is true and important to realize is that there is injury happening right now to us in this. So God is not just fighting. He is also healing. And I think that's an important piece because Jesus existed as a victim of injustice, fighting for justice. And in that victimhood brought about healing, too. And so when I think about our role here, I really I think about two different things. I think that we, on one hand, need to grieve and heal. And on the other hand, we do, we need to act. And it isn't about just the capital happening. It is not about any of those things. It is about the totality of living in a society like all societies that are not set up for all humanity to be valued, not set up for all humanity to be treated with the honor of those that are created in the image of God. And so when I think about it bending towards justice, God, I believe stands on that side, but there is a bend and there is a wane to the arc as people bend and wane. You know, movements where people are caught up in fear, times when more people are caught up in their own focus of power, moments when more people are caught up in their personal gain and there are those that stand with justice. I think that arc wanes. And then there's moments where the conviction of aligning with the kingdom of God, it bends towards justice. When we see things like society moving forward, with slavery being abolished, with women being given the right to have a say in the democracy that they're a part of, when we see people allowed to marry the partners that they love, I think those are the moments where there were enough people fighting for justice that we were aligned with the kingdom of God coming here. But I think that we are gonna be unable to fight if we don't grieve. And I think what was really helpful to me this week was listening to some strategies on grieving some space to actually let ourselves feel upset, whether it's specifically about the Capitol or just grieving the brokenness of our society. You know, I have a, a friend who told me that it's too hard in the middle of the work day to sit down and cry because you got to get things done. So they watch TV shows that are overly emotional so that they can cry over watching whatever, this is us. But the grief is like a piggyback on top of this is us and they are no longer crying about the show. They're crying about the injustice of Jacob Blake. And I think emotions are things that we unlock and figuring out ways to unlock our emotions, get space for us to go. The things that have been really helpful is is certain types of media that can get us going, music, times of meditation. I think the ability to unlock ourselves is the ability to grieve. And recognizing that Jesus is familiar with injustice, Jesus knows what it's like to be disappointed and to be broken, and in that offers healing. And then secondly, what does it look like to act? It can be a big and difficult question. But to me, I have had one fairly simple guiding principle over the last five or six years when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm trying to interpret the world around me, when I'm trying to think about where would God position me? And it is the the principle of Jesus, as he mentions this, it's three times in the gospels, that those who will exalt themselves will be humbled and those who are humbled will be exalted. What does it mean to act? If you think about those who are humbled, how are we giving right How are we giving space? How are we fighting for those to have more honor, more dignity, and more justice by those who our society would humble? And if we ourselves as a straight white man, chief among it, who are exalted, what does it look like to humble myself? What does it look like to listen? What does it look like to put myself in positions where I don't always have to have the voice that is centralized? So as you think about how you can grieve and then how you can act, I just encourage you to think concretely, in what ways at work, in what ways with my family, and what ways with my friends, am I trying to uplift those who are being humbled? And in what ways am I challenging humility to myself and challenging humility to those in power, humbling those who have been exalted? And so to me, that has found life in tutoring, that has found life in working with neighbors experiencing homelessness, that has found life in advocating at work for things for other people that don't directly benefit myself. For me, this has found space of just trying to listen and support my friends as we are going through an immensely difficult time. And so what I'm going to do is I want to finish up by praying. It's not, Um, There's no simple answers on how to respond to the emotions this week, but we have a God who lives in complexities, and I deeply believe that he is able to meet each one of us wherever we are coming for today. So Jesus, we invite you here right now. We ask for help to bring our emotions to the table, knowing that you can receive them. Anger, we know you can receive our anger. Sadness, we know you can receive our sadness. Confusion and disappointment, we know you can receive our confusion and disappointment. We know that because you've lived that Jesus, not from a far off place, but from an intimate place. And I ask for space right now for you just to allow us to grieve what is broken. May it not overcome us, may it not overwhelm us, may it not make us cynical, may it not make us apathetic. May you receive it, acknowledge it, allow us to grieve, allow us to heal as we will need to again tomorrow as we step back out into a world that is broken. And may you speak hope right now in our hearts, not of an assessment of the world around us, but of something generated within us, Lord. And may that hope find life in action. May you give us a vision for these small ways we can participate in bending the arc towards justice. Small ways in interacting at work this week, small ways in interacting with peers and friends this week, Ways of thinking about how we can participate in our neighborhoods, thinking about ways we can volunteer, ways that we can speak, ways that we can learn, Lord. And may our action breed healing too. Amen.